All right, so I got a very basic message today. Um, it's really Christianity 101, and I find that many do this well, but many struggle with this. So let me, at the outset, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If when you hear a word, if, you're, if the word is causing you condemnation, that's the devil, okay? It's not that the word's the devil, because I've had many words that were spoken from the Lord, but my own posture to the word, I allowed it to turn me in, inward with condemnation rather than letting the Lord affirm me that his love for me, but also encourage me to move on into a greater place, okay? So I am in no way, what I'm saying today is to bring condemnation. It's just to help us realize where we might be at and where we need to be. But there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But if we see something, a standard that we want to get to, we always run to Jesus and say, Lord, help me get there. We don't condemn ourselves for where we're at, but we just ask, Lord, help me get there. All right, does that make sense? So there's grace, grace. Um, I can start this message a couple ways. And I'm trying to decide what would be the best punch. What would be the best oomph? Um, Lord, help. Father, just help us. We want to hear from you. We want your word to minister to our hearts. We want you to draw us closer to you. Thank you, Lord. All right, so... A little history lesson. Everybody up for a little history lesson? Uh, I think it's important. First of all, thank you to our veterans, actually, that have served in our military, helping to advance our freedom and our country. Freedom's never free. It always costs something. It was for freedom's sake that Christ set us free, the Scripture says, and it cost him, him laying down his life. And freedom... Sent, you know, from the beginning has often cost the blood of peoples being shed, and we're thankful for our veterans who have fought the good fight. Um, so thank you. Um, you know, I guess the, the place to start with this message is really back in the garden. You know, God came and he spoke to Adam and Eve, right? He spoke to them. He told them, he laid out some things. He told them they could eat from any tree of the knowledge, any tree in the, in, in the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were not to eat, right? And what did Satan, our first appearance, of, the first appearance of Satan, the first time he shows up on the seed, he does what he has constantly done throughout Scripture. It says, has God really said? His ultimate goal is to challenge God's Word. If He can get us challenging, if He can get us to believe that God's Word is not true, or to get us lost in that process, we will go astray. We will shipwreck. His Word is life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. When we stray from that, we stray from the path of life, and there is always a uh, shipwreck that takes place when Adam and Eve began to question God's word it brought them into a, pl a place of loss of death and destruction which has affected mankind ever since amen Jesus told the parable of the sower he said the son of man went and sowed the word and the birds of the air came and plucked up the seed that was sown beside the road he says that was the enemy that would come and steal the word from the people's hearts because they had no room for it. So, all throughout the ages, Satan has really battled and warred, warred sorry, uh, against God's Word. You know, when God said, let there be, there was. And, you know, the, they, they say that the galaxies are still expanding from that one word spoken. See, God's word does not return void. We know that from Isaiah 55. 
God's word does not return void. It comes forth and it accomplishes everything that God sent forth, sent it forth to do, right? God's word does not return void. But the scripture says his word is forever settled, where? In heaven. Where is it not settled? In the heart of man. When we settle his word in our heart, we come in alignment with God. And now God's will and purposes can be released into our life. See, the enemy was trying to steal Claire's word. He was trying to say that he had left her and she was alone. He was using the circumstances of life, though very difficult. If we, how many know Claire, know her story, know what she's been through? And the enemy doesn't waste any time taking advantages, take advantage of the things that we go through. But God in his mercy spoke a fresh rhema word from heaven to Claire that broke a lie that was trying to steal the written word that God said, I, I will never leave you, and never, nor shall I forsake you. And it set her free, and I'm so thankful. I, how many times has the Lord rescued me with a prophetic word that has brought me back to his written word in afresh? But um, how many are familiar with the Dark Ages? The Dark Ages were a time period in history, and, it were, and we're basically speaking about European history, but this is true even in still other parts of the world today. They're in the Dark Ages in a sense. I'm going to say that the Dark Ages were the result of the light of the Word of God his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Dark Ages was the result of a time period when men and women were um, uneducated in God's word. They were given to suspicion, all kinds of weird suspicion. And they were robbed from the most precious thing that had been given to man outside of the Holy Spirit, and that was the Word of God itself, this wonderful book. For many of us, this right here is more than just a book. The Bible says that this is the inspired Word of God. Think about this. The Bible itself, talking about the Bible, says this is the inspired Word of God. If this is God's word, do we value it as such? And I'm not going to ask you, like, you know, for show of hands or anything like that, because uh, I don't want to embarrass anybody. And the reality is, what you give mental assentment to doesn't really, isn't really the truth anyway. Our actions are what we believe is true. You know, you can say you believe something, but until you live it, it's, is it, or do you really believe it? You know what I mean? Proof's in the pudding, as we say in the South. You got to, you know, if you're doing it, Jesus said many will, um, he talked about how there were two types of people, those that heard his word and then those that heard it and did it. It's the doer of the word that is blessed. So during this dark ages, men were, led astray into all kinds of weird things. Uh, the Catholic Church um, were doing things like, um, you know, if you wanted to commit sin, you could go and pay an indulgence fee, pay your money, slap your money down, and all of a sudden, you could go and commit adultery, and it would be forgiven you. It started being where you could, any sin you wanted forgiven, you could have it forgiven, just pay, you know, you could pay the money and be forgiven, confess, do what they tell you to do, and it's made right with God. But it grew into a thing where you could even do, pay for it before you did the act. So you want to kill somebody and take their wife. Well, you could go to the priest and pay the right money, and then you, you're free to do it. And people thought this was God's will. 
During this time period, many true believers were being murdered. And didn't Jesus say there was a time coming when men would kill you and think they were doing a service for God? Throughout the dark ages, there are some of the most heinous, wicked things that were done. And they were done in the name of God. And the reason that it was done and the people didn't know any better was because the common person had no access to this right here. You know, they didn't know. They only knew what the, the Pope and the, and the monks told them that this said. If you've seen the book, the book of Eli, how many have seen that movie? Only a handful of you? It shows a big picture of kind of the, the power behind the Word of God and how people want to use it and abuse it for power. Well, all through the Dark Ages, um, there was this war beginning to take place between those that were in power and those who wanted to serve God faithfully and wanted to get to know God for themselves. And so what began to happen, uh, people began to stand up and say, look, we got to get the Word of God out. Because at that time, the Word of God was not known. Most of the um, most of the church, only the high up educated people were knew the, were allowed to read the scriptures, and they were in the service of the Pope. And um, I'm certainly no historian. I'm, I love history, and I, I do read it and study it. Um, but I, I certainly don't claim to have a perfect picture of history in this time period. But what I do see. Uh, I see that only the hierarchy had any type of access to the Word of God, and most of it was written in Latin, okay? It was not, uh, the Bible was not translated at this time period into the common languages that were spoken throughout the world. The original, and I, and I do a study of your Bible, figure out where it came from. I'll tell you, this book right here has all that information in one. This is the Founder's Bible, this is an incredible resource. If you don't have one, I encourage you to get one. You can go to wallbuilders.com. You can order this book. This has been my favorite Bible I've ever owned, and the reason for it is the commentary that has been added to it. Now, this is the New American Standard Version. I, I particularly love this version of the Bible. I think it's one of the best translated uh, versions personally. That's my personal opinion. Uh, but it's also the opinion of many theologians. Um, it was translated directly from the original languages. Uh, the Bible was written in three languages originally. Um, it, the Old Testament was written in mostly Hebrew, and some of it was written in Aramaic. Um, Aramaic was the language of the Babylonians when Israel was taken in captivity and Judah taken in captivity. They learned Aramaic. And so that's why Aramaic was so common in Jesus' day was because when they got brought back after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, a lot of, much of that generation grew up learning Aramaic, and it never left Israel. So the book of Daniel, a good chunk of the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic. And then you get to the New Testament, and the, all of the New Testament was written in Greek. But it was common for Jews in those days to, to know Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. It's pretty common. Um, not all Jews knew Greek, but it was very common for them to know those three languages. All the New Testament was written in Greek. But interesting, you know what the number one spoken language in the world is? English. English. God had a plan for the English language. It has been like the delivery board or the delivery ship for I think the Word of God in a very powerful way because it has allowed for the Word of God to be spread all over the world. The English is spoken in really almost in every country in the world. Uh, and it's easy to take the Word of God in when people speak the, the same language. But back in the Dark Ages, the Bible was not written in English. It wasn't until 1384 that John Wycliffe, y'all have heard of John Wycliffe, the Wycliffe, uh, wasn't it the Wycliffe that does the thing in uh, uh, Waxall? Was it Jar, uh, something about jars? 
Wycliffe Bible translators, they have a, um, a base in Waxhaw, I believe it is, right outside of Charlotte. Um, and they're, they're, they have been translating the Bible into different languages all over the world. But John Wycliffe uh, was, his Bible in 1384 was translated from Latin to English. Um, and he began to, in his translation of the Bible, and he began to get the Bible into the English language that start, people started waking up to realize, whoa, the Word of God says you actually have to repent of your sins. You have what? What is this? You know, it's like it's like um, Martin Luther. You're familiar with Martin Luther? How he nailed his thesis to the door of uh, the what do you call it? The um, my mind is going blank. Whatever the cathedral was there, where the where where the powers would be, where he was, I believe it was in Germany, Wittenberg, and he he nailed his thesis to the wall. And the, the crux of it was the righteous shall live by faith, which was contrary to the Catholic teaching that it's by works. You have to do what we, basically do what we say do, and if you do it well, you're, you're, you're right with God. So there was a struggle going on of being dependent upon a man who set himself in the seat of God and in the very temple of God. I think the Pope, don't get me wrong, I believe there are many, many, many Christians, born-again, spirit-filled Christians in the Catholic Church, but I believe the Catholic system is an antichrist system. With the Pope taking his place in the very seat of God, the Bible says there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The Pope has set himself in a position to where he, according to the Pope and throughout this time period, the Pope's word in was God's word. Whatever he says is the same thing as God saying it, and there would be no challenge to the Pope. To be challenged from the Pope is to be excommunicated, which is to spend the rest of your eternity in hell, according to the Catholic Church. Okay? Well, this was common. Everyone believed this all through Europe um, until people started reading the Bible for themselves. And then when the Bible started being read for themselves the people started to challenge and question what they've been being taught this whole time, which started a power struggle. And Satan didn't like that at all. Uh, it frustrated the powers that be to the point that John Whitecliffe had made such an impact in the, in the world, in Europe especially, and he had, he had raised up so many disciples that were reading the Bible for themselves and helping to continue the work of seeing the Bible published. And they were teaching against the Catholic Church to the point that he was still so hated that 43 years after his death, they decided to dig up his bones and burn them and throw them in a river because of hatred for this man, because of his stance on Scripture. The Word of God was hated through the Dark Ages, and the lack of their light was really the, I think, the entry point for the enemy during that time. Uh, in 1440, uh, Johannes Gutenberg, <laughs> I probably butchered that, but I tried to give it that nice uh, accent on it. He invented uh, the first type of movable printing press where the parts would get moved and you could, you could print. And so that opened the door to the printing and in 1525, William Tyndale printed the world's first New Testament. So that's pretty powerful. When I, when I say the word, for not, it's the first English New Testament. It wasn't the first New Testament. First English New Testament. And during that time, uh, the penalty for having a New Testament, an English New Testament, guess what the penalty was? Death. If you were caught with this New Testament, you were put to death. I do not know the numbers, but they're high of the amount of people that were either burned at the stake, tortured, thrown in jail, or murdered for just reading the Word of God. Thousands and thousands and thousands. I've not done an actual, even a guess, I couldn't even guesstimate. I don't know if someone has 
looked at that. I'm sure there's a number that's being thrown around, even though I don't know how you would know an accurate number during that. But lots of people were burned at the stake and killed during that time period for just reading it. So William Tyndale was burned at the stake. His disciple, Miles Coverdale, in 1535, published the first full Bible in English. He was put in house arrest and then exiled. Uh, in 1557, along with John Calvin, John Knox, and others, they produced what was known as the Geneva Bible. The Geneva Bible was... Um, it's what the Bible, it was the version of the Bible that uh, began to really shake up the, the powers that be. The Geneva Bible now found some new enemies. Not only did they have the Catholic Church that, that was hating on it, but the King of England was hating on it because there was a belief that kings had the, were very, very similar to the Pope in the sense that they were God's acting um, mediator on the earth the king's word was god's word and anyone that wanted to live out their christian faith based on reading the bible and following its teaching you weren't allowed to do that if you did things that were contrary to the teaching of the church and teach the, the church of england and the teaching of the catholic church grounds for murder because you're a heretic. You're someone that has, you know, violated God's truth. Now, I know this can be a little boring for some, but the reason I'm bringing this up was that the process for God's, the freedom that we have for God's word to get to us came through the blood of our brothers and sisters that we're going to meet one day in heaven. They paid, just like our veterans that paid a great freedom for us to know the freedom that we have found in America. Those same brothers and sisters paid, many of them paid with their very life. And, and some of them in torturous pain because they would not bow the knee, but they loved truth more than their own life. And they loved God's Word. They loved it. And they knew the value of God's Word and how important it was for this to bring the power that it's done. Now, interesting enough, when the Word of God began to multiply and more and more people had access to the Word of God, the world began to change. The dark ages were ended. Life and light began, began to take place. And I want to address that towards the end of the message, why that is. Um, but our early founding fathers, they came over here with the Geneva Bible. And uh, so you can still get a copy of the, G the Geneva Bible. Uh, it's very much like the King James Bible. The Geneva Bible started, teach they, put, they were one of the first Bibles to put commentaries in the Bible where people could read certain biblical truth that was expounded upon some of these great men like John Knox and John Calvin and, and others. And a lot of it was opposite. They were teaching things from the Word of God that was contradicting what the King of England was saying, which brought, you know, a great conflict. And because of that, they decided that the King of England decided with some of his advisors that they were going to do their own Bible that would exclude all these heretic, heretically, help me out, heretically... <laughs> Heretical? Heretical? Is that right? Is that the consensus? That's the correct word? Uh, teachings that contradicted the king of England. That's what you get when, you, when God raises a country boy to be a preacher. <laughs> it's the best I can do, guys. Sorry. Um, so, in order to fight these teachings, they did a, their own Bible, which was almost identical to the Geneva Bible, but it was without all the teachings that were contradicting the king's teachings, the Church of England's teachings. And that Bible, of course, is the King James Bible, which most, of, most people, you know, that was the main Bible that was probably big throughout our history as in America and is still read. 
um, has probably the most, I don't know if it's true today, but at one point it was the uh, most sold book in the world, the King James Bible. So that's a little bit of our history. So I'm saying that for this reason. If all these people were being fought so hard to see this book not make it to the light of day, what do you think was behind that? Try it. It was the devil doing the same thing that he's done from the beginning to steal God's word from his people. Okay? So here's my challenge to us. What are we doing with the freedom that God's given us? I don't, I do, everybody listen, I don't want to show hands. I'm going to ask a question, do not answer this. Every time I do this, somebody still answers, do not answer this. But how many people, you know, read their Bible every day? You know, there's people that'll fight you up and down that the Bible is the Word of God, and yet they won't even take the time to pick it up. And I just wanted to look at something from the Scriptures to encourage us, not to beat us up, but to encourage us what a gift we have. You want to turn with me to John chapter 2. This is a very basic message. It's Christianity. I believe Christianity 101 because it's, it's one of those things that we need to get in our walk early on. By the grace of God, I, um, I don't know why, but I did get this early on. In my early 20s, there was something that just got a hold of me, and I realized that for me to be a successful Christian, I believed that it was imperative that I made time with God every day that I would spend time with him every day. And part of that process for me always involves spending time reading his word and praying. And I think that is a very healthy um, thing that we all must practice if we're going to have a very successful Christian walk. So in John chapter 2, we have Jesus' first recorded... Um, miracle. Now, it may not have been his first miracle, but it's certainly his first recorded, that we have, recorded miracle. And we see that Jesus and Mary, his mother, and his brothers, and Jesus' disciples were invited to a wedding. And during the wedding, we all know this story, the, the, uh, they ran out of wine, right? Which was a cultural shame, you know? The, the wine was really a big part of the wedding. And so Jesus' mother comes to, um, comes to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. And he's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> and? <laughs> what does that have to do with me, woman? That's what he told her. And she responded, saying to the servants, whatever he tells you to do, go do it. I like that. It's very motherly of her. <laughs> it also drew something out of Jesus that he wasn't going to do, which I think is an incredible revelation in and of itself, that we can often pull things out of Jesus that he wouldn't even, we wasn't even going to do. So Jesus comes and he finds six ceremonial washing jars they were about that big in that day. And there were six of them. What's the number six mean? It's the number of man. On the sixth day, God created man in his own image. So six represents man. And Jesus comes, and we see in John chapter 2, that he told the servants to do what? Fill the pots full, full with water. He told them to fill them full to the brim with water. Now, who did the filling? The servants. Did Jesus do the filling? No. The servants did the filling. What did Jesus do? He, when he, he told them, he said, take this and dip some out and take it to the head waiter. And in the process of dipping 
from the full six ceremonial washing jars that represent mankind, the water had been turned from water to wine. Ephesians 5 lets us know what water represents. It says, having washed her with the water of the word. So we know, letting Bible interpret Bible, that when you, the water represents the word of God. Okay? So when man fill themselves up to the brim with God's word, Jesus then can draw from it and it will be turned into wine, which is representative of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. There are many scriptures that reference the Spirit with wine. So wine represents the Spirit, the anointing, or the Spirit. And many times in our lives, we, the Lord doesn't have much to draw on in our lives because we're not full of the Word of God. And that's the first miracle that Jesus does. And I think that in itself is a message that we have to be those people that fill ourselves with the Word of God. And in that process, that's the first thing Jesus wants to do in us is when we fill ourselves with His Word, then He draws from that Word and He turns it into the anointing, the wine. So, all right. Now here's the importance of the Word. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken. Here's what's happening. The Sadducees had come to Jesus. They tried to trap him. They said, they started talking to him about, you know, there was a certain man and, you know, he had a wife and he died and his brother took his wife and then they had no children and it went on through seven brothers and they said, well, who... Whose is this uh, in heaven? Who's this woman's husband? Because all seven brothers had been their, her husband. And there was a trap. And Jesus says to them, and that's where this verse picks up, he said to them, you are mistaken, not understanding the Scriptures nor the power of God. And I believe that's one of our first mistakes is we don't know the Word of God, and if we don't know the Word of God, we're not going to know the power of God. If you want to know the power of God and you want to be used in the power of God, the first thing you need to do is fill yourself full of God's Word. God's Word has the power to change your life. Just reading this book, and I think this is a test. You know, the Lord said that He was going to test the children of Israel by providing manna for them every day to see if they would go out and obey the word the Lord had given them to gather up manna daily. He said it was a test to see if they would walk in his ways or not. And I believe this word is a test to us to see if we're going to walk in his ways. Why is it a test? Well, put it to you like this. How many people would say their flesh really likes getting up and reading the Bible sometimes? Now, I love reading the Bible. I really do. But I have a life of forcing myself to read the Bible every day of my life through decades of times not wanting to read the Bible, but I do it out of a discipline. Uh, Romans 8, let's see, I got it written down here. Romans, uh, where did I write it? It is written in Romans 8 somewhere. I wrote it down. Where is it? Anyway, Romans 8, I want to say verse 7 or verse 8. Oh, yes, Romans 8, 7. Uh, it says, the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. The New American Standard Version says that the, the mind set on the flesh is against or opposed, is against God. Our mind, our flesh, does not want to get into God's Word. It just doesn't. There's something about our flesh that hates discipline. Doesn't like fasting, doesn't like praying, 
all the things that are necessary for Christ to really grow up in us, our flesh is opposed to it. So the successful Christian is the one that by the grace of God can put to death their flesh and do the things that are basic. And that's why I want, you know, if I, you know, a group of people this size, maybe a third of y'all are probably practicing getting up and reading your Bible every day. It's just a guess. I mean, I don't know that. I hope all of you are. But I want to talk to you about this because if even I'm just reaching a third of you guys and y'all would change and begin getting into the Word of God faithfully, it will absolutely change your life. It will change your life. The Word of God will change your life. I want to talk to you a second. And, and let me just say this. Jesus Christ, who was the Word Himself, every time He got challenged, He pointed to the Word of God. He said, it is written. When Jesus resurrected from the dead, you know what He told the disciples? He preached about Himself. and he, this is, Let me just read it to you. Uh, I wrote this down so I didn't have to turn there. Luke 24, 44, this is on the road to Emmaus, talking to those two men. He said, all things written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then in Luke 24, 27, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Jesus values the word of God. He preached himself from the word of God. There's numerous places in scriptures where God tells his prophets to eat the scroll before they prophesy. He did it to Ezekiel. He did it to John in the book of Revelations. And I want to say to you, if we're going to walk in the power of the Spirit and prophesy and heal the sick and raise the dead and be these people that God's called us to be, he wants us to stay in this word. Abide in me and let my words abide in you and you shall ask the Father and he shall give it to you. There's something about that. And, he, and I will say this in John, um, I believe it's John 8. Um, and this is a word in of itself that I, I have actually preached on here before, but I'm just going to mention it in passing before I jump into something real quick and then we'll wrap this up. Um, Let's see. He said, so in John 8, 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him. Now everyone in here hopefully is someone who has believed in him, right? If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. How do you know the truth according to this scripture? By continuing in his word. His word leads us into all truth. Now, I just did a little thing this, this morning. This is not an extensive list. It's not an exhaustive list. But it is a list made up by me this morning <laughs> that I just want to throw out some advantages some fruit, some results of allowing the Word of God to be a central part of your life, okay? Now, I encourage you, if you can, write these verses down. One day, God willing, I'll have a message in time to actually get it on a PowerPoint system, and y'all can follow along, but that would be too professional of me, and I don't know if I could do that. But um, y'all got to pay more if you want that. <laughs> that was a joke, guys. Joke, joke. All right. So follow with me. All right. I'm not going to read these verses. I'm going to read what they say because I'm going to fire them off to you and just like, you know, machine gun style. So just write down the verses and go back to them. Hebrews 4.12 says, The Word judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. It brings conviction. Second Timothy teaches, it says the, the word teaches us, it rebukes us, it corrects us, it trains us, it equips us for every good work. 
This is what the Word of God does. Psalms 119, 105, it says it lights our path. So that one is easy. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Psalms 119, 105. You're right. I didn't. What is it? Well, that's good because I don't have it written down here. <laughs> here, I'll verify this. Second, would you say it was 316? Yeah, read that out loud. Say it loud. Yeah, I'll read it for the sake of the, uh, the, the online. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's powerful. So... Psalms 119.9, it keeps us from sin. Luke 11.28, it blesses us when we obey it. Psalms 18.30, it shields us. Philippians 2.14 through 16. All right. <laughs> All right, where are we at? All right, Psalms, Psalms 18.30. It shields us. Luke 11.28 blesses us when we obey it. You don't have to write down. Just write down the verse. Okay, don't write down what it does for you. You read that on your own. Okay, that's okay. Calm down. <laughs> All right. Psalms 18.30 shields us. Philippians 2.14 through 16. It causes us to shine, to be the light to the world. Psalms 119.130. It gives us understanding. Matthew 4 4. It gives us life. 1 Peter causes us to grow up into salvation. Oh, dang it. That's what happens when you're. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It says to long for the milk of the word. <laughs> All right, mother-in-law, you're laughing too much here. Here, I'm. <laughs> Glad somebody does. <laughs> Wait a minute, God loves me. That's what his word says. Now you can get behind me, Satan. This is this is we're we're looking at first Peter. Oh here it is, two. Uh Verse 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Okay, so long for the word. I, this is just a side note. I think this is hilarious, and I think this goes along with the message perfectly. Uh, there was a day when I was, I had been reading the word, and it just was like one of those days that it was like pulling teeth. There are days that you do that. You read the word, and it's like, I just don't want to do this. And I read about as much as I could stomach for the day. I was so 
it just what I, I didn't feel like I was getting anything. You know what I mean? And I, so I was, I was exhausted. I was ready to do, because it was a warfare just to read it that day. I don't know if you understand it, but it's like sometimes you have to war. You're warring against your soul. Scripture says that we're supposed to quiet our soul. Your soul's revved up. It wants to go, go, go. You'll have a thousand things that come into your mind that you need to be doing when you stop to start to try to read the Word of God. And it's a warfare to shut those, lion, those stupid voices down to say, no, this is my priority. And I was warring this day. I was in a, in a battle. And so I was just done. And I decided, all right, here's what I'm going to do, Lord. I'm going to play Bible roulette. Y'all have heard of Russian roulette, right? This is Bible roulette where you're going to give, have God, you're going to put God on the spot, and you say, you're going to close your eyes, turn a page and open the Bible and throw your finger down, and that's what you're reading, and that's what you get for the day. All right, God, use this. Here it is. I want a word from you, Lord, that's going to feed me today. Here's the lazy Bible roulette. Here we go. Bam. I opened my eyes, I looked down at my finger, and it said, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow and respect the salvation. I'm trying to get a word from the Lord so that I can get out of the word of God for the day, and the word of the Lord that the Lord allowed me to get was long for the pure milk of the word. <laughs> Guess what I did that day? <laughs> All right, God, I hear you. And well, you dug back in for another hour. And, and kept in the Word. So I think that's a funny story. I think it shows God's heart. It shows his, um, the, the comedian that he is. You know, God's a funny God. He loves to have fun with us. But at the same time, this is serious to him. He wanted me to stay digging into it. All right, Proverbs 2.6. It gives us knowledge and understanding. James one twenty one. It saves us. Psalms 119, 114. All right, James 121. It saves us. <laughs> Psalms 119, 114. You can, just, you can pretty much just go through all of Psalms 119 because every verse is about the Word of God. The only book in the, it's the longest book in the Bible. You know that, Psalms 119? And it's, I think it's the center of the Bible as well which is pretty interesting. The center of the Word of God is the, all about the Word of God. That tells you something. But Psalms 119, 114, it protects us. Isaiah 55, 11, it brings forth God's purpose in our lives. Hebrews 1, 3, it sustains us. John 15, 7, it allows our prayers to be true and answered. Psalms 119.11, keep us from sin. I've hidden thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Psalms 107.20, I love this one. He sent his word and healed us. 107.20. Proverbs 4.22, very similar. His word is life to them that find it and health to all their flesh. Now, huh? So, very basic. No, like, major revelation that's like, but, you know, one of the things I know Rick's talked about a lot, um, and you know Rick's had a lot, a lot, a lot of friends that were professional uh, athletes, and I remember a number of the guys. I think it maybe it was Reggie White and some of the other guys. I know Reggie talked to to Rick about this, but um, he was saying how some of the greatest players in sports never actually made it to the the big league. And they were talking about the, the, the discipline that it took to make it on the big stage when it comes to professional athletes. You know, whether it be basketball or football or any sport, baseball, you name it. There's a dedication. And he said the teams that were the best and the players that were the best were the ones that did the basic the best. 
So in other words, keeping the main thing the main thing, which if you know Rick and have heard him preach, you've heard him say that a thousand times. But really that is the deal, keeping the main thing the main thing. And if we can learn how to do the basics the best, we will be the, the best Christians we can be. And Jesus tells us that we're to continue in his word. And I have spent, uh, from 1995 on, I may have missed, till today, I may have missed two or three days in my whole life that I didn't read the Bible. Okay? I don't think I've missed a day ever that I didn't think about verses in the Bible. And I'm not saying that to pat me on the back. I'm saying the grace of God in my life got this into me how important it was, and I disciplined myself to read this every day. And I'm encouraging all of you, this is the Word of God. It will change your life. It changed my life. It changed my life. And if we want to be the best followers of Christ we can be, we have to start with what he's given us, and that's this word. If this truly is the word of God, what are we doing with it? Because thousands of our brothers and sisters died to get us this. And it sits on our shelves collecting dust. And we're missing out on all the things that we just went through that it do will do for us. You know what it won't do for you? won't do anything for you if you don't pick it up. You know, it's like, a, it's like a gun that has no bullets. You know, we need some weapons. Now here's what, I had a little vision that just kept going through my head when I was during worship. And I guess this is really what I want to encourage us all with and then we'll end. Um, how many know the story of Arthur? You know, King Arthur, the sword and the stone? Y'all know that? Come on, guys. King Arthur and the Sword of the Stone, thank you, yes. Make sure you're still paying attention. Excalibur, that's right. If you know that story, it's a mythical story, but it's in the story, there was a sword that was in a stone, and no one could pull it out of the stone. But when King Arthur put his hand to the sword, all of a sudden, Excalibur came out with ease, and this sword was reserved for him and him alone, and he became the king that wielded this incredible weapon of power, okay? I kept seeing the sword and the stone in worship, and I started thinking about my message. What does the Bible say? Taking up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When we are willing to put our hand to the sword of the Spirit, when you do that, when you continue in His Word, like Jesus said, it will release your destiny. When, when, when He put His hand on the sword, it unlocked His destiny. It unlocked, an, it unlocked an identity that He never even knew He had until He put His hand to it. And I want to tell you that this word is a test. And if you will give yourself to this word, you will put your hand to the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and you will give yourself to it. It will unlock an identity and a purpose that you never even knew you had. Well, you know, when, I, when someone's a new believer, I encourage them to start with the Gospels because uh, the, Jesus is the beginning. Right. No, no, I know. I'm, I'm uh, okay. I would, I would start with. I would tell anybody start with the Gospels, and then work your way through the New Testament. Do that a couple times. Get through the New Testament a couple times, then start in the Old Testament. Yeah, keep going. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and keep going all the way through Revelations. Read that a few times. Into I would say this is my opinion, but. Yeah, it's my opinion because I think it's going to, you know, Jesus told his disciples to go and to teach all the nations all that I've commanded you. The New Testament is the words that Jesus 
that gave to his disciples to teach to the world. So if we want to learn from Jesus, reading and what Jesus had for his church that he wasn't going to physically be there to see, we'd know that by reading the Gospels and the, and the, and the uh, letters that were written to the churches. So that is what Jesus says. And so I would dig in there. Um, I personally now, having been, do, have been doing this since 1995 consistently, I, uh, I, read, I try to read through the Bible roughly in a year. And I'll, I'll usually do about, like I'll start one book, I'll start with Genesis, and I'll read a little bit in Genesis, I'll read a little bit in the Psalms, and I'll read, start in Matthew in the Gospels, and I'll read from each of those every day. I'll read at least a chapter or a couple chapters every day, um, and then uh, c- continue. The next day, I'll finish, I'll start off where I left off in Genesis, start up where I left off in Psalms, start off where I left in Matthews, and keep going. And that'll take you through, if you do it, if you read enough of it, it'll take you through the Bible in a year. This isn't the message I wanted to bring today. I cannot. Yeah, 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 amen. I cannot reiterate to you enough and to all of you the power that gets released when you commit yourself to the Word of God. It is powerful. And it will transform your life. There will be days that you will read it. It will feel like the driest morsel that you've ever tasted in your life. And, but just keep, keep with it. There were days that I'm like, why am I keep doing this? And then all of a sudden, I read one day and everything I had been reading all of a sudden gets unlocked. And it was like, oh my gosh and a download by the Spirit of the Word. Remember what I said at the beginning? Jesus said, draw out from the six ceremonial washing pots and take it. The Holy Spirit draws out of us. You want to be a powerful minister of the Word of God? Give the Lord something to work with. Value His Word. Hide it in your heart. Feel your self full of it and he will draw from it and turn it into the anointing and i cannot that's what i tell young people or anybody that comes to the lord if you would just do this your life will never be the same but satan is so good at distracting us from the most important things there are so many things that are fun and good in this life but can become a great idol and a great distractor. Nothing wrong with them in of themselves until they steal from us our time. I love TV. I watch TV. I love movies. I love video games. I'm a big kid at heart. I love sports. I love music. I love farming now. I'm a farmer now. I'm Farmer Trav. Uh, I am, Jim. I've become a farmer this year, and I love it. Y'all watch out. Anything that steals from that becomes an idol. And I know I've loved working out my whole life, but I can't, I don't do it uh, I, for a number of reasons, mainly because of physical ailments. But it used to be an idol in my life. I was a bodybuilder at 19. I would be late for work before I didn't finish a workout. I mean, I was like, I was a gym rat. Lindsay can tell you. Um, it became an idol in my life, but I loved it. And I still love it. And I, through the years, uh, I didn't do it. And I, cause I, there was friends of mine that were always trying to get me to go work out with them in the morning. And I wanted to really bad. And there's people who's tried to get me to go surf with them early in the morning. There's different things. And I'm like, my whole life, I'm like, no, I can't. I got to spend time with God first. And I've made that a priority. I don't do anything. I brush my teeth and I go to the bathroom and I might get me some caffeine. Other than that, it's off to the Bible. And if I got to be at work early, you get up earlier. If you will value this thing, the way these people, the, what we have in our hands, all those people in the, the dark ages didn't have this. 
They didn't have this. And we have it sitting, the Word of God that has rocked the nations. And we have it so available and we don't use it. That will be, I'm sorry guys, I'm not, this, there's no condemnation, grace, grace. But I'm telling you, we will be accountable for what we've been given. God never judges us for the darkness we're in. He judges us for the light that we reject. Or, should I say, the light that we don't take advantage of that's right at our fingertips. So anyway, um, thank you for telling, saying that. that. That encourages me because I'll be honest with you, this felt like such a very basic thing. And I didn't, part of me doesn't like to, I don't know, I just didn't want to do it. I saw, um, I saw a, a, a lady and I felt the Lord drawing me to say something to her. I'm like, oh, Lord, I was, oh, really, Lord, really, do you want me? And so I walked by, I wasn't doing what he told me to do. And I'm like, okay, well, if I come around the corner and she ends up, you know, I run into her, then I, I'll say something to her, Lord. I had no clue what I was supposed to say to her. So I come around the corner and bam, there she is again. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So I just went up to her and I said, ma'am, can I pray for you? And she looked at me and she said, well, I'm Jewish. And so I said, okay, but can I pray for you? <laughs> I didn't know what the Lord wanted me to say to her. And then she says something else I can't remember. Um, and then I said to her, well, you know, salvation is of the Jews. And her mouth dropped open and she looked at me. And she was like, you're, you're a good woman. It touched her. The thing that was significant about what I said to her was the Holy Spirit pulled up out of me what had been put in me through studying the word. Because the word says, you know, salvation is of the Jews. So it came out. I had no clue what to say to that lady. The Lord knew what to say to her, and that's what, so my, I'm encouraging you to continue to read and study because it'll come out of you when you need it, just like he was saying. That's right. I've had that happen a thousand times. Hey. Yeah. So I want to go along with what this lady over here said. Um, I've been a Christian my whole life, but I don't read the word daily. And while you were preaching, the Lord, I, I appreciate the history you gave us. I love that. Because I love the 4th of July, but, you know, it's just a holiday. So I wrote on here, 4th of July, freedom. Men gave their lives for us to have the freedom to read the word. My 4th of July commitment, never go a day without reading his word. Love it. Cherish his word. Be thankful and grateful for his word. This is what, and this is what the word does, and I've got scriptures. So I appreciate this word because it highlighted how important that is. And now it's like this is my 4th of July. This is my new commitment to God. So 4th of July will mean so much more to me because this is a time where I've made the commitment to get in the word of God and just let it, you know, fill it. And, and you know, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate this. It's easy to say that today after a message like this. That's why I'm admonishing you. You do it. You make it a habit to where when it's a habit, you, you, habits you don't have to, you just do it. Because if you don't make it a habit and you don't do it consistently, it ain't going to happen. And they'll, a month from now, this message may not be ringing in your ear, but once you have it as a habit. So. The other thing I wanted to say is, I'm not trying to discourage anybody from not reading chapters, but if you're starting and you haven't been doing this, you might not be able to do chapter after chapter after chapter. So set a time. And if you don't do but 15 minutes, that's better than no minutes at all. So set a time and stick to that and then grow it as you're going along. And that way you'll get it. Because if you're trying to read three and four chapters or whatever a day, you might not be able to do that. You might give up. So start with small increments of time and then increase as you go along. Yeah, Psalms are good. I definitely, you can, you know, you can even read a little bit in like if you're starting off read a little bit in the gospels and then read a little bit in psalms that's a good thing too so yep
Lord Jesus, we love you. Thank you for everything you're doing. Lord, let us, let us, Lord, for those of us that haven't been doing it, I pray grace now upon your people to begin to value your word that doesn't return void, that we would plant it like a flower in our heart every day and water it every day, that we would reap the benefits that we just read about. Lord, give us grace to value the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that we would fill ourselves to the brim so that we would have uh, the life that it brings and the ammo in our gun to fight the enemy with. Lord, that we could take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So I pray for your grace, Lord, that we would start afresh this day committing ourselves to continue in your Word, as you said in John chapter 8, Lord. In Jesus' name.